Hi, I'm Brett Robinson. Welcome to the Redeeming Hope Podcast, where we share biblical truths that'll give you real hope. What is real hope? It's a hope that is relevant, energizing, authentic, and linked to Jesus. Thank you, Brett and Janine, for the opportunity to share the Word of God with Redeeming Hope Church. I like the name of your church because that's what I'm going to speak about. 20 years ago, we had Steve Jobs, we had Johnny Cash, and we had Bob Hope. Today, we have no jobs, no cash, and no hope. Now, I cannot offer you a job or give you cash, but I can bring you hope. And in this pandemic, we need hope. And in the Bible, hope is one of the three strong forces that Paul speaks about that should operate in the life of a believer. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he speaks about the three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And it is so important for us to hear about hope. We hear many sermons on love, and rightfully so, because love is the greatest. There's a lot of preaching and teaching on faith, and we need that. But hope is often neglected in preaching. And we desperately need hope right now. And some people do not understand what real hope is. So I'm going to share a few thoughts on hope. And I hope it'll give you a better understanding of hope. If I can give a title to my message, I'm going to call it the rope of hope. It's very interesting that the Hebrew word tikva could mean rope or it could mean hope. And uh, the word comes from a root word that means binding or twisting together. So I want to read a key verse about hope from the Bible. It's in Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. And I'm going to come back to this scripture again. It says, hold on to the hope we have been given. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and strong. So the Bible here likens hope to an anchor. But we all know that an anchor has a rope connected to it. And I want to show you how to make that connection with hope. And I'm going to use the metaphor of making a rope, but I want to put a spiritual spin on it, pun intended. (laughs) So a a twisted rope is made uh, in three steps. First, You gather fibers and spin them into yarns. And then you form several yarns into strands by twisting them. And then lastly, you twist the strands together to make a rope. Now, please don't go and and, and twist what I'm saying. Let me rather use the word braiding than twisting. So I'm going to give you scriptural fibers, yarns and strands and We can also call these cords or or plies or twines, and they need to be braided together. And it's this braiding together that actually gives a rope tensile strength, which means that it could handle tension and it could be stretched. So here's the first strand in building the rope of hope. Define what hope is. What is hope? I'm going to give you some uh, answers on, on basic questions about hope. Hope 
has to do with the unseen and the future. Now, all of us have an idea of, of hope and we can get a greater understanding of it if we, if we go and look up the word in the dictionary. But I have found that sometimes the world's ideas of these things uh, does not always line up with a Bible meaning. So I'm going to show you some wrong ways the world sometimes looks at hope. And I'm going to contrast real hope and false hope. Here's the first wrong concept. Hope is not wishful thinking. A whimsical wish is an assumption without any foundation. But true hope has a very strong foundation. I remember in the church that I grew up in, there was a story about uh, an older lady in the church. And they had the tradition of, uh, on a Sunday morning, the pastor would ask people to put up their hands if they had a request, but they called it an unspoken request. And she had a hand up every Sunday. And one Sunday, the pastor said to her sister, won't you tell us, you've had your hand up for so long. Why do you put your hand up? Do you feel comfortable to share what your unspoken request is? And she said, sure. And she said, I want to win the sweep. And it was a, a lottery of, of that time. So he was taken aback by her answer, and uh, he said to her, <laughs> kind of tongue-in-cheek, he said, do you at least have a ticket? And she responded, she said, Pastor, no, but nothing is impossible with God. Now, when people, even today, when they play the lottery, they say they hope they will win, but your chances of winning are slim and none, and you don't really expect to, to win anything, but you hope you might win. And that's wishful thinking. The second false concept of hope is that hope is not a daydream. It's not an airy, fairy flight of fancy to an air castle in some fantasy fool's paradise of La La Land where you sigh for a pie in the sky by and by. It's not a delusionary daydream. Worldly hope is often that, and even worse, it might be a pipe dream, which refers to an unattainable or a fanciful aspiration. And incidentally, the term pipe dream originated from the experience of smoking an opium pipe. And if you do that, you have high hopes. Here's a third wrong concept of hope. Hope is not hype. Hype is an exaggerated attempt to make something seem better or more exciting than what it really is. But true hope is based on the reality of God's Word. And then, lastly, hope is not passive waiting. Hope does involve waiting, but it's more awaiting something good. It's anticipating change. It's expecting a, a solution. And therefore, it's, it's not being passive or inactive. It, it's like faith. It should have accompanying corresponding actions. Trusting God does not mean that we wait passively for the world to change. And hopeful waiting is not just suffering in silence or passively accepting everything with an attitude of, of grin and bear it. Uh, it, it. It's an active waiting and expectancy on God. And 
David speaks about that in Psalm 25, and he speaks about the right kind of waiting and the ingredients that would actually result in change or growth. And he wrote this time, uh, this psalm in a time of, of crisis. In Psalm 25, and verse 5, he says, For you, you only and altogether do I wait expectantly all the day long. And then in verse 20, he says, Oh, keep me, Lord, and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed or disappointed, for my trust and my refuge are in you. And then he ends off in verse 21, and he says, I wait for and expect you. So if I can give you a simple definition of uh, biblical hope that a Christian should have, it's this. Hope is a favorable and confident expectation from the Lord and a sure trust in the Lord of good things based on the secure certainty of His promises. Now, very interesting, the Greek word in the New Testament translated as hope is the word elpis. And I think for many today, this saying is true. Elpis has left the building. Hope has actually left their heart. And the verb uh, of this Greek word, actually means to anticipate what is good, usually with joy and delight, to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial, to assuredly expect, to welcome. That's what the word to hope means. And you know, I found this very interesting acronym for hope, H-O-P-E. Have only positive expectation. Wow. And here's another one that's more relevant for the time that we're living in. Hold on, pandemic ends. So there is hope for us right now. And you know, our hope is built on God's guaranteed promises in His Word. It's like the parable that Jesus told about the two houses that men built. The houses were the same, but the foundations were different. The same storm came, but the one house stood because it was built on God's Word. So let me continue and let me give you uh, another second twine for your rope of hope. Discern when hope is needed. When do we need hope? Well, we need hope all the time, but especially in hopeless situations. Hope has to do with what is unseen and what is to come. It could be about the immediate future, it could be about the distant future, or even eternity. And it's very interesting that Paul writes about our hope for eternity, which is the most important thing. That's our ultimate hope. I'm going to focus on hope for this life, but let me just give you some scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, the resurrection chapter, Paul says this, If our hope in Christ is only for this life, We are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. And then when he writes to Titus in in chapter 2, verse 13, he calls this our blessed hope, and he's speaking about the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter speaks about this eternal hope, uh, an inheritance reserved for us in heaven. He calls this a living hope in 1 Peter 1. Verses 3 and 4, he says, we are born again into a living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And now we hope for the blessings God has for his children. 
which cannot be destroyed or spoiled or lose their beauty, and they are kept in heaven for us. Hallelujah. But let me speak about hope for right now in the current realities we're facing on this earth. Because the whole world is in crisis right now. And many people are without hope. And I said that hope is about the future, but it's also about now. uh, Because hope can make your present everyday life better. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor in World War II. And although he was into humanistic psychology, we can learn from something he said. Because his experience was, the prisoners who survived the longest in the Nazi concentration camps were not necessarily the most physically fit, but they were the ones who maintained a sense of hope. And that helped them to handle the adverse situation. Frankel believed that people could find hope even in the gloomiest of situations uh, if they had meaning and, and purpose. And as Christians, we have a lot of hope because we have found meaning in our lives through Jesus Christ. So the key to coping is hoping. Hosea 2 verse 15 is a beautiful scripture where God speaks to Israel and he says, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Let me give you a third chord for your rope. Determine the source of hope. Where can we get hope? In the last century, there was a well-known French philosopher. I will not mention him because I don't want to give him notoriety. But he was a proponent of what is called absurdism. And absurdism is a theory about the so-called absurd conflict between the inclination to look for meaning in life and the inability to find any value in a seemingly purposeless world. So here's what he said. He said, where there is no hope, it is incumbent on us to invent it. I don't agree with that because God already invented hope. He's the inventor. The message of the Bible is that God is the source of hope. Paul says much of our hope in the book of Romans. In, in Romans 5, he, he starts speaking about the hope of the glory of God. And he says that uh, even tribulation in the end will, will produce hope and it won't disappoint. And God is called the God of hope because hope comes from him, not from our invention, not from our fabrication. And Paul says it very clearly later in the book of Romans in, in chapter 15. And verse 13, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation, he says, May God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in Him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with His superabundance until you radiate with hope. Wow, overflowing hope. Now, just in the, in the preceding verse, verse 12, he quotes a messianic prophecy and, and he speaks about how Isaiah prophesied and s- spoke about an heir to David's throne, that's the Messiah, who will emerge and he will rise up as ruler over all the non-Jewish nations for all their hopes will be met in him. So Jesus gives the nations hope. He's called our hope. 
in, in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 1, in Colossians 1, 27, He's our hope of glory. So if you don't have Jesus in your life, you have hopeless. Someone said it this way, life with Christ is an endless hope. Life without Christ is a hopeless end. And that's why Paul writes to the Gentile believers in Ephesus and he speaks about their previous condition and he says that they were without God and without hope. That's in Ephesians uh, 2 verse 12. But he says, now you have been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So if we don't have God, no God, no hope. And we can put it in, in other words, no God, K-N-O-W, and K-N-O-W, hope. No God, have knowledge of God, and you will know what hope is. So don't place your hope in your abilities, your partner, your job, your bank balance, and your doctor, your uh, political leaders, whatever it might be, even your pastor or, or anything and anybody else, because all of these can fail. You need to put your hope in God. I'm sure that there have been times in lockdown that you felt like a prisoner. You might have felt like you were under house arrest. But at least you were in your own home. There was a time when the nation of Israel was in a worse situation. They did not just feel like prisoners. They were actually taken captive. And they were exiled in a strange country. But that's when God gave them hope that kept them going. And there's a scripture from the Old Testament where it shows us that hope comes from God. It's a promise we often claim for ourselves, and I don't think it's wrong to do so. I've heard the scripture quoted so many times, uh, but people don't always realize the background uh, to these words. The king of Israel and some of the key leaders were taken captive and they were exiles with many people of Israel and Babylon. And it's in these circumstances that God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. And he said this in Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And then 70 years later, when Israel's uh, exile ended and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple began, God speaks again, this time through another prophet, Zechariah. And it's again about hope. And uh, it's actually a messianic prophecy. In Zechariah 9 and, and verse 11, it says this, and this is God speaking, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I'll free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I'll restore twice as much to you. The message paraphrase puts it so beautifully. God says, because of my blood covenant with you, I release your prisoners from their hopeless cells. Come home, hope-filled prisoners. This very day, I'm declaring a double bonus. Everything you lost returned twice over. Wow, I believe it's a word not just for those who were still in exile at that time, but it's a prophecy for the people who would in future hope on the Messiah. And even for you today, if you feel like you're in a prison, be a prisoner of hope. Be a prisoner with hope because God will bring the breakthrough. So hope does not 
arise from an individual's desires or wishes. It comes from God because he is the believer's hope. We need to say with David, my hope is in you. And we need to get our hope from God's word. Now, I like what, what David uh, says, and, and this is attributed to him, uh, Psalm 130 from verse 5. He says, this is why I wait upon you, expecting your breakthrough, for your word brings me hope. And in the New Testament, this is confirmed because in Romans 15, we read it earlier, but this time let's read verse 4. It says, whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, both faith and hope come from the word. My last final strand for your rope. Discover how hope works. How does it operate? Well, we saw that it comes through the Word of God. So make sure you spend time with God and His Word. Don't neglect church, home cell, personal devotions, any opportunity where you can hear the Word of God. And um, I, I, I would suggest cut down on, on watching television, on your social media uh, etc. in these times and, and focus on God and make time for the word and allow God's word to change and shape your thoughts. I want to conclude with, uh, with a look at, at the book of Hebrews and I wish I, I had time to take you on a journey through the book of Hebrews because he uses several maritime metaphors and uh, in, in chapter 10 and verse 38, he speaks about someone who shrinks back or draws back in fear from faith. And it actually is uh, the same Greek word that seafarers would apply when lowering a sail. But the one that I want to focus on is in Hebrews 6. I read that at the beginning where he says in verse 18, Hold on to the hope we have been given. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Sure and strong. You might have heard political leaders and others say, we are sailing through uncharted waters. That's true, but it's also true that we do have hope. And it's an anchor for your soul. What is your soul? The control room of your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, your will, and your intellect. And God can help you to anchor your soul People are having wild, confused thoughts, but hope can steady and stabilize you. And let's hold on tightly to the rope of hope. Hear God's word of hope. Think thoughts of hope. Speak words of hope. Speak words of faith over your future, your family, your finances, your health, and act like someone who has hope. Keep your eyes on Jesus because He is our hope. Hold on to Jesus because He's holding on to you. Father, thank you that I can pray for everyone who heard this message. And thank you that we can get our hope from you. As we spend time with your word, you will give us faith. You will give us hope. And we will be a blessing to those around us in these difficult times. And we thank you, Father, that in everything, 
the name of Jesus will be glorified. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. I pray that the message of God's Word will build your faith and develop a hope that is so strong it's like an anchor for your soul. Go ahead and subscribe and why not share the message with a friend?